0: Promise, Lord, as David said uh, that you're his shepherd, that you you your promise uh, David said, was that you'd lead him to still waters and into green pastures, Lord, that you'd restore his soul, and we come here this morning, uh, needing all of that, everything you have for us, Lord, everything you want to speak into our lives, we want to have ears to hear what you would have to say to us, uh, because I'm sure. There's more than one person here that needs their soul restored, uh, that needs to hear from you and be built up and strengthened, God. So I pray that by your word, by your Holy Spirit, Lord, you do that as we travel, journey through this book uh, of the Bible, Lord, uh, and especially this morning, we look at chapter one, Lord, you've got things to tell us, to remind us, Lord, in your name, amen. First uh, Samuel. I love this book. Somebody just warned me uh, that they love it too, that I better do a good job. So, but what's amazing about the Bible, any book of the Bible, 1 Samuel is no exception. You'll find yourself there. You'll you'll see that you're in one of these situations, that you'll you'll find answers to your problems because these are real people. This isn't Hollywood. These are real people, real problems with a real God. The timeline of 1 Samuel, it's written in the book of Judges. So you finish up the book of Judges, and that's really the timeline here of 1 Samuel. We're still there. Um, it's about 10 years after Samson's birth, and 10 years before uh, Samson's real weakness is going to be revealed and who he is. Uh, unfortunate, the failure that, that, that Samson was. But the moral condition, as you end the book of, uh, and I'll just read it to you guys, as you end the book of Judges, it says in, there, in chapter 21, it says, in those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. There's no rules. There's no standard. There's nothing. And, and God sees the condition, the spiritual condition the moral condition, the decay that's going on in Israel. And he begins to operate. It says this in verse 1, Now there was a certain man of Ramath Zophim, of the mountains of Ephraim. His name was Elkanah, the son of Jehoram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, and Ephraimite. And that's how God always does it. He starts something, a work, with a man. He just takes a man ordinary, right? We know from uh, Chronicles that uh, that Elkanah is a Levite. He's from a priestly line. His name means um, God's provision or acquired by God. And that's what God does. God takes a man. His character sometimes can be sterling, it can be. Um, I'm going to get a new microphone, too. Put that in the budget. Uh, Sometimes people's character is sterling, right? It's it's like you you, you might get a a Joseph or a Daniel, these guys that the Bible really has nothing wrong. We don't get to see or hear about any of their character flaws, but oftentimes God takes a Jacob, a Peter, just a regular guy, and grabs him and says, this is a life I want to use, that I can use, that I can mold and shape into my image and use for my kingdom and for my glory. And that's what happens here with this guy, and we're going to see it transpire through his family. God just takes a man, flawed, people like you and I, if we're willing, right? If you're you're willing... If you're sitting here this morning saying, man, i love to be used for God's kingdom. I want to be used in greater ways. Don't think that God can't hear that and know your desire, your passion like, God, I just want to serve you. I just want to follow you. What can I do for your kingdom? God's not like, nah, I can't use you. Too bad. No, that's the life he wants to take because he takes lives that are flawed, that have errors, that have made people have made mistakes. Says, you know what? I can use your life. That's your real desire? Hang on for the ride, because I'm going to start molding your life and shaping your life and working in your life. Right? But hang on, because I'm going to start working a work in your life, doing something in your heart, in your mind, transforming you. And that's what happens here. Just sees that here's a guy, right? With problems. And here's the first problem. We see in verse 2, it says he had two wives. Right? The Bible says you can only serve one master. That's just a joke, right? That's a joke. The name of one was Hannah, and uh, the name of the other was Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. And we see the struggle there. It's major, it's massive in this family. This man takes two wives. And what's a greater struggle than that? Man, one of them has children and one of them doesn't. We see that throughout the history of the Bible, how painful that is. How painful that is when it's just one wife and there's no and, and someone's barren. Right? Now, now put that combination of two wives in the marriage. Uh, The Bible is clear that it's never good. It's been permissible. It's happened in the Bible. We see it in the Bible, in the lives of some of even the heroes of the faith, but it's never good. There's always trouble. And it's never been God's design from Genesis chapter 2. Jesus clarifies it in Matthew 19, right? It's one man and one woman. Not not one man and two women, or one woman and two men. It's never been supposed to be that way. But here's probably what transpired: is Hannah. We're going to find out that that uh, uh, another issue is that um, that Elkanah loves Hannah more. How bad does that hurt if you're Penina, and you know? This guy loves her more. And probably what happened is they were married first. And you want to carry on your your lineage, pass down everything you have to your children, and and Hannah can't have any children. So what's he do? He conforms to the culture, to this world, and says, you know what, I'll just grab another wife. It's out of necessity Because I need to and and he justifies it by having to pass on his his goods, his everything he has, his name and his stuff. But it's never good, right? It's never good. It's never good to conform to the culture. Never good to justify what you're doing because that's the flow of the culture, and you're trying to be relevant or everyone's doing it, right? It's never good. Don't ever think that, that that's good. You know, I thought about, you know, what, what's cultural now, and you see it, unfortunately, even in the church, you see people drinking, like, like pastors are drinking. That may not be shocking to you now, because it's cultural right now. It's kind of cool, it's hip, it's, it's uh, you know, whatever, relevant. Right? I know, for me, uh, before I was saved... Drinking was part of my life, and it almost literally destroyed my life. I got in a pretty serious car accident and, and broke my jaw, got in trouble, all kinds of things. You know, it's, and, and, and drinking in the Bible is never associated with anything good. It's never associated. If you read Proverbs, Psalms, right? But it can be cultural, and that's just one example. If you have a glass of beer or wine... Uh, while well, you're having whatever spaghetti or sauce, you have to have that, whatever. I'm not saying that that's, you can't do that. You know, the Bible says doesn't say you can't drink, right? My problem was, and a lot of people's problem was, you just can't have one or two or three or four. It's just, all right, what's the next one? And what's the next one? And then as a mom or dad, I didn't grow up with it, this major influence, but as a mom and dad, you, you are teaching your children by example not just what you say you say don't watch that bad movie and then when they go to bed you turn it on you shouldn't drink and then in the back of the fridge is you know wine whatever right it's you're not just it's not just for you and Paul would call those things liberties probably right you have the liberty to do certain things but the bible says and Paul says don't use that liberty as a, because it can be a stumbling block to other people Right? You just got to be careful because you're an example. Whether you know it or not or realize it or not, your life is an example. So we see this woman, Hannah, she loves the Lord and, and so does her husband, but he conforms to the culture and he doesn't realize the effect this is going to have on his family. Sometimes we make decisions and we, we don't understand the effect it's going to have. We don't understand how it's going to impact people around us. And this is very impactful to his family. So we see this woman, Hannah, and she's barren. And and also in the Bible, when you see someone who's barren, and we're going to see that, that, uh, that, that God did this, that this was his plan, and this was his purpose... Um, oftentimes the child that comes forth after someone who's been barren is God uses that, that child mightily. Why? Because he's conforming a mom or dad. He's using, he takes us through sometimes hard things. He allows things to go on, happen in our life, to shape us and to mold us and to conform us to sometimes even uh, our thought processes, how we live, things we do. And he's making this family Hannah is going to be a mom of all moms. She's finally going to have a baby, and she is going to do this thing the right way. Right? I, my son Josh, uh, bad story, but, uh, you know, climbing those little those little things uh, at Darien Lake where you, you climb up the ladder, they can flip you off. And my son you know, has done it a couple times and he had all his cousins there at Darien Lake. He climbed up and rung the bell and they brought this huge prize out and his cousin Jacob's there and Jacob's like, he's got his dollar out or whatever, it's probably $10. Let's do this thing the right way, right? Like, we, well, I gotta, you know, he tried it 10 times and didn't make it, but then finally something clicked. He's like, I'm gonna do this thing, right? Well, he couldn't do it, but Hannah is able to. Hannah's going to do this thing the right way. Hannah is going to raise this young man that she has the right way. She sees this child as a gift. It's more precious sometimes when you're barren and then you have a child than if it just happens, right? She sees this child is so valuable. She's like, I'm not going to screw this up. I'm not going to mess this up. Because there's a stigma, there's pain that comes with that, but there's purpose in the delay. She doesn't, get to read, she doesn't have the privilege of reading 1 Samuel like we do. She can't read the story. She's living it, right? Heard that before. She's living this story. She can't read it. But there's purpose in, in, the, in the delay because God doesn't just want to give her a son. He wants to give that nation a prophet. Wants to give that nation, not only he'll be the last judge on the scene, but he'll be the first in the line of prophets. God is doing something amazing here. Super special. And so God right now is aligning Hannah's will with his will. And he's very patient. And sometimes we think, how can we keep going? This is so hard. This trial is difficult. I can't take it. God says, actually, you can take it. You can, believe it or not. There's more you can take because there's more work I'm doing. I'm not done. (laughs) Holding on. Don't worry. I'm actually holding on to you. I'm going to take you further. I'm going to teach you more. We had one of those sons, our son Joshua. Joshua. We were, we had Lydia. We were barren for five years. What do we do? What do we do? How, you know? What's going on, right? And and then finally, you know, the Lord spoke to me several times. I tried to tell Leah because I'm super sensitive. Like, Han, do don't worry about it. we we got this thing, right? What? And it's you know maybe it, it, you know it's painful for both parents. Maybe more painful for the wife. But. So pray for Joshua. He was one of those kids. For a while, we were barren. Um, It says this in verse 3. We're going to get through this chapter. My goal. It says that, that this man went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And also two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. So he's faithful and consistent in a day when people were doing everything that was right in their own eyes. Pretty amazing. Like, this guy's going to worship in a day when people just didn't care. And he was going no matter what. Even some, some of his mistakes, whatever. But it says this, and, and he calls them. Uh, if this was Samuel that wrote the first part of this book, it says, this man went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, this, the God that is the Lord of the universe. He's the Lord of everything. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's big, right? And sometimes we can think of God being so big and so powerful. and We look at miracles in the Bible and things that he's doing. We can forget that he's a God that also cares about every single need in your life he's a God that knows the numbers of hairs on your head right that a sparrow that is so I don't want to say worthless but a sparrow a bird like how many do you have around your house tons probably uh, you know and it falls to the ground and he knows it it dies right I have to yell at my son Joshua he doesn't do it anymore but sometimes he'd show me a bird I'm like Josh but shooting those little things right God sees you, and that's how much God, he's the Lord of hosts, he's the Lord of armies, but he's, and read the Gospels. If you want to get encouraged, read the Gospels, stay in the Gospels in your devotions, get in there, because as you read it, you see Jesus steps aside for just a woman who touches the hem of his garment. The woman of Samaria sitting by a well, he goes out of his way and just sits and talks with her. Like, he's not too busy for you guys. He's not too busy for me. Yeah, he's big. He can do a lot. But he knows the numbers of hair, hairs on your head, right? He's got an easy count for me, right, Martha? And knew she was going to say something. How did I know? He's looking for hurting people. He's looking for people out of the way. He's looking for people... That are struggling with life. Why? Because this life is full of struggles. It's full of them, right? But we can make it through. We have a God that's gonna see us through. So it says this in verse 4 And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Penaniah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters, but to Hannah, He would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord closed her womb. Right? She's waiting. God is conforming this woman. It says that he closed her womb. How hurtful is that? Is God, you know, torturing us? Is God torturing us? No. Preparing us. He's preparing us. He's not torturing you. Not torturing me, getting you ready, I, I read this week in a devotional uh, John Corson, just told a story that that uh, of his son, uh, I think it was Peter John, and he, wa- he was he, he had some health issues early on. he had to take some extra meal supplements, so in the middle of the night he'd have to heat up a bottle uh, and give you know this little guy a, a bottle and and he's screaming and crying, and he's like. Peter, John, listen, hold on, buddy, I'm warming the bottle, it's okay. And he says, the Lord spoke to his heart, because he had been whining and crying about a lot of things going on in his life, and he's like, John, listen, I'm warming the bottle. I'm doing something right now in your life, too, I'm preparing it, right? And sometimes we get anxious, we get worried, like, Lord, what the world is happening and he's, But what he's doing is warming the bottle. He's preparing the situation. He's preparing the person for the gift, right? My son likes to hunt. My daughter, Mariah, likes to hunt. Um, I just don't hand him a gun and say, go. At least I, I, I didn't used to do that. <laughs> but there was a time where they needed to learn. They needed to be trained for their own safety, for the safety of people around them, right? There's training going on. That's what God's doing. He's training you and I. We go through hard things, deep things. Stuff that's like, "Mm, man, Lord, come on, this feels like torture. And God's like, no, no, you're on the wheel right now. I'm the potter and you're the clay. You're just on the wheel. And I'm conforming you. I'm doing a work in you. So it says in verse 6, And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable, because the Lord closed her womb. So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. Listen, we have an adversary. We know that. Peter talks about him. He goes about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Listen, you're going through a trial and the devil's right there to whisper to you, man, you're a loser. I cannot believe you acted that way, or you did this, or God's hand of blessing isn't on you. He's forgotten about you. The same way she has an adversary that's constantly tormenting her, telling her things, and you know, pointing out how other people are getting blessed, or how this happened to this person. We have that same adversary all the time pointing out things in other people's lives and saying, if you had only been a bit better person, maybe that would have happened to you. Could have happened to you. And this is really the fruit of, and you guys know it, Abraham did it with uh, Abraham and Sarah. They t- took. Ha- this is a fruit of, of helping God. Here, God, let me help you. you got to be careful to not step out and try to get ahead of God and say, God, let me help you. Here's the, Oh, I see the blessing coming. Let me go grab it. Let me do this. Because that's what Abraham did with Sarah. They couldn't have, have children either. And they were patiently waiting for a while. And then that was it. Like, here, take my handmaiden, Hagar. And they have Ishmael, they birthed an Ishmael, right? Who is uh, a perennial enemy of Israel to this very day, right? You don't want to have an Ishmael. God doesn't need your help. If he's not telling you to do it, don't do it, right? And this is them, this is this family, this couple, this man trying to help God. So it says this in verse 8, And Elkanah... Her husband said to her, I've never done this. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? Like, Mr. Sensitive here. Like, are you going to eat that? Are you... Because I'll eat that if you're not going to eat it, right? Because that's the idea here. Like... He's kind of insensitive. Like, why are you weeping? Dude, we've been going through this for years. What do you mean, why am I weeping? Why am I crying? Because this is painful. This hurts. This is tough. Guys can be sensitive. You know, they want to know what time the Bills are playing. If I'm coming over, what size TV do you have? Does Daryl's deliver? Right? Sometimes husbands aren't that sensitive, but you know here's the reality is husbands are never going to be your Jesus. Wives are, are not meant to fill that void. It's never gonna be that way. It's never meant to be that way. They're not gonna be your all in all. Two are better than one, the Bible says, and that's true. Marriage is amazing, it's a blessing. Uh, Wonderful, but it's the third-fold cord. It's, that, it's Jesus Christ in your life, in your marriage, that's going to satisfy. The woman at the well went through that. Jesus met her, and she had been through five husbands because she was looking for love, someone to fill the void. She was living with a guy that wasn't doing it either. And, she, and if Jesus didn't meet her there, she would have went to the next guy. And the next guy, because Jesus told her, you're at the wrong well. That's never, if you drink from this well again, you're going to thirst again. And husbands and wives need to know, you do have a shoulder to cry on at home. You do have people that care about you in your home. To one level or another. And maybe the level's way down here, but you know what you have? It's what we all have, and what we all need is Jesus Christ. That's the shoulder you want to cry on. He's the one. He's the one. Jesus wants to fill your deepest need. He knows how how you feel and what you're going through. Sometimes you can't explain it to your husband why you're hurting. Right? Because he doesn't have that rib that you have. He gave it to you. Like, I'm not as sensitive as my wife. I'm just not. Try to be sometimes. I'm trying to dwell with my wife according to knowledge. That's what the Bible says I should do. Right? So I'm getting to know and learn the code of questions you can answer and you can't answer, and the ones that, you know, whatever. How does this outfit look? Oh boy! <laughs> we can. There's. We're just not as sensitive as Jesus Christ. Verse nine. It says, "Hannah rose up after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, and, and Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the door of the post of the tabernacle of the Lord." And it says that she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. She has a choice here. She feels like she's on an island. You ever feel that way? You're in a crowded room. You could be at church, somewhere where there's tons of people. But you're on an island. You feel like nobody knows how I feel. My husband, my wife, and what does she do? She's got a choice to make. She can go and watch Hallmark movies or Disney movies or midday soaps. She can go to the China buffet. She can go find someone who really cares about me. And that's happened. Or she can go to the Lord, and that's what she does, right? And that's what she does. She was in bitterness of soul, it says she prayed to the Lord and she wept, just cried. Probably been there before. Probably been there. She could have read her story. She would have known. I think she would have been very patient. She doesn't know. The unknown sometimes is a scary thing, isn't it? What's going to happen? How is this going to work out? She doesn't know that this trial that she's going through is going to encourage the church for centuries. What, what's happening in her life. It says this in verse 11, and she made a vow. And This is the point, this is where God, this is where the Lord, the place that God wanted to get her. This is where His will And her will connect. Finally, she says this. She made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me, and do not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. She says, This is a Nazarite vow, this is something special. A Nazarite vow, you wouldn't cut your hair. You wouldn't eat anything that came from a grape, grapevine, juice, raisins, whatever, um, and nothing. You wouldn't go around anything that was dead, right? Some specific things. But she's just making a deeper commitment. She didn't want just a son for herself to take away her reproach or make her feel better. She wanted a son to raise in God's kingdom. For his glory. Instead of withdrawing, and sometimes trials can do that to people. They just pull back. This draws her closer and takes her deeper. She's not making a, trying to make a deal with God. right? We're going to see that at the end, that she, she begins to worship God even before the prayer is answered. She's not making a deal. We sometimes make God a deal. If you get me that car... If you get me a raise, I promise I'll start tithing or, you know, whatever it is. Uh, if you get me that car, I'll bring people to church, right? Whatever. And then it happens and you still don't drive anyone to church. Because right? I made promises before. God is so patient, though, because he wants to fix deeper problems, deeper issues. It says this. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her, and, and only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, How long will you, be, will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I'm a woman of sorrowful spirit. I've drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but I've, I've, I've poured out my soul before the Lord. Don't consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief I've spoken until now. She's just weeping. She's crying. She's praying. Right? You ever do that where, where, where you're going through something and you're just in tears? And pretty soon you're in tears. You don't even know what to pray anymore. Right? Your, your head's in your pillow. You're driving down the road. People probably think, who is this nut? What's wrong with this person? Right? You're praying. You don't know what to say anymore. And, right, and actually Romans uh, chapter 8 says that sometimes we groan and we, we just can't figure out the, what, what words to pray, what to say anymore. And the Spirit, it says, makes intercession with groanings that can't be uttered, right? And you're just praying, groaning. If your husband or wife saw you, they'd be like, what is wrong with you? Sometimes you're just sitting before the Lord, like, Lord, what do I do? You know what's going on. I can't even figure out what's going on. Right and, and, and the Lord just meets you there. And the Lord's still working. And God is interceding. And it says in verse 17, And Eli answered and said, Go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petitions which you have asked of him. And, and she said, Let your maidservant find favor, favor in your sight. So the woman went away and ate, and her face was no longer sad. How encouraging it is. The, the Bible says there's life and death in the power of the tongue, right? We come in here Sunday after Sunday with power. Power to walk up to someone and put your hand on their shoulder and pray for them and encourage them. A word of encouragement, something, right? We have that power. It's encouraging, you know, sometimes at um, corporate prayer, people are just praying for different things, praying for... And then, you know, maybe they're praying for themselves. They're going through something hard. And after prayer, I'll see somebody come up and put their hand on that person's shoulder and just pray. It's a word of encouragement, you know? This guy misjudged the situation. But at the end of the day, man, there he was... Man, may, may God grant you, you your request. Just a word of encouragement. I think this body, this church could use that. You come in... With some sort of an understanding and acknowledgement, you know what, I want to encourage one person today. Imagine if everyone here came in next week with that thought in mind. Not just, man, I can't wait to, what's the Bible have to say today? And what time do the bills play? If you came in and thought, man, I want to be sensitive to one person. This person's name came across the prayer chain. Maybe I'll just go up and pray for them or at least ask how they're doing. Let them know I'm praying for them. It doesn't have to be some you know, great word prophecy over them, right? Just, hey, I'm praying for you. How's your mom? How's your dad? What's going on? You guys, you know, let's be sensitive to that because it goes a long way in the lives of other people. Man, that's what, it changed her. She didn't necessarily hear from the Lord. She just, a guy, a priest, a pastor that, that, that just said, you know what? God, give you your request praying for you he misjudged this he thought she was drunk two verses earlier right that's how messed up this culture was in the time there were temple prostitutes there were people drinking at the feast it was crazy he just thought you know here's another drunk person i'm gonna lay some rebuke on him it wasn't so So it says this in verse 19. And they rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord and returned and came to their house at Ramah and Elkanah knew Hannah his wife and the Lord remembered her, right? And and she starts worshiping before before anything. This was after the feast. She just rose up and worshiped. God, I'm going to worship you no matter what happens. Right? Are we willing to do that? No matter what happens, Lord, I just trust you. And it came to pass in the process of time, verse 20, that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, because I've asked him of the Lord. Right? The process of time, we hate the process of time. I hate time. One minute can feel like an hour. You feel like you can't take it. We want a lightning bolt. We want the Red Sea to part. We want the Jordan River to part and be stopped so we can cross it. But God just says, sometimes I use the process of time. And that's what happened here. It was the process of time. It's patience. It's waiting in trials sometimes. And what a name. Samuel means asked of God, heard of God. You know, it's a reminder every day. This kid, Mom, tell me what my name means again. What happened again? What's the story of my life? What, what, what took place? Imagine that. And Samuel, what took place in his life? He became a giant in, in faith made the Hall of Faith, Hebrews 11. This guy is in, you know, if you read, I think it's Psalm 100 or, or 99, he's in the class of this, these praying saints with Moses. And Jeremiah mentions Samuel as this mighty man of prayer. Imagine if your name meant prayer, asked of God, and then you just talk about it when you were a kid. Your mom and dad told you about how you were born or, or raised you to follow Jesus Christ. And then you just grow up, and you become that person, just a mighty man of faith. And that's what, Sam, that's what happens in Samuel's life, right? Children are a gift. The appreciation of just having one after the next, after the next, after the next. Sometimes, man, the third one's harder to raise, or the, right? And this woman just, oh, man, just raise this kid. Don't let the world raise your kids. Don't let Facebook, Snapchat, and Instagram raise your kids. I remember the impact I've, I've, I've heard so many times, you know, because schools, how, how often our are, are kids uh, are in school somewhere, and they're getting the, this influence, and sometimes if you're working and your kids are in school, what's the influence? Sometimes the school has our kids more than we do, right? I just remember hearing the testimony of people in, in kids' lives as they were growing up, like, A teacher may have been mean, how that so impacted the the kids. But then another teacher like Eli just, man, you got a great gift, son or daughter, you know. You're a good basketball player. You're, you know, and just trying to encourage. If you have the opportunity to encourage someone, to influence someone, to bless someone, especially these kids, do it. Take the time, it goes so far. How we treat kids matters a lot. And, and Hannah knew that. She knew that this was a gift. She appreciated it. We're going to close here in just one second. It said this, And now the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer, the, offer up to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah didn't go up, for she said to her husband, Not until the child is weaned, and then I will take him that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. So Elkanah, her husband, said to her, do what seems best to you. Wait until you've weaned him. Only let the Lord establish his word. And then the woman stayed and nursed her son until she weaned him. So that's the age of three to five years old, right? That's like our little Carter's age, five years old. Imagine the investment she put in him, and then she, she's going to take this kid at five years old and drop him off at the temple. She raised that kid with an expiration date. I've got him this long, and I'm going to do my best. I'm going to pour into him the most I can. I'm not going to waste a second, right? I just got a thing. It's embarrassing, but I, I get them every week. Maybe you do, but it's a little, little thing that says how long your screen time is on your phone. Anyone get those little alerts? I got an alert, and I've been kind of, it's been kind of cool. It's been a month now. I don't know why, maybe the last update. Uh, And it's, yeah, you're up a half an hour, you're down a half an hour, you're up a half an hour. And super embarrassing for me to even say this. But, you know, I was down maybe 20 minutes, which I thought was cool. But then I actually looked how long I was on stuff. And it was, uh, and this is embarrassing, Facebook was one thing I was on. Some people have Facebook. It's not necessarily a sin, I don't think. Uh, But sure is a waste of time. Sure is a waste of time. It was like, I want to say 10 hours. Is that even possible to have 10 hours on Facebook? How is that possible? I'm going to have my phone checked out. (laughs) 10 hours on Facebook. What can you do in 10 hours? That's a whole day. That's a work day. Listen, I want to see your phone. No, I'm just joking. I'm going to check yours. That's a long time. I don't think we realize, because I'm not scrolling through Facebook all the time. Like, how long have we, what kind of time are we wasting? Listen, this woman knew she has this much time. What can I invest in this much time? Right? If, you, if you're a coach or anything, you know, hey, I got these kids for an hour and a half. What can I shove into that time? Well, can I teach him in that time? Well, that's what we have with our kids. We think we've got 18 years. Oh, it's so long. Well, the most impactful time in a kid's life is from age uh, up to age five. 85% of their personality, all the stuff that gets downloaded and hardwired in their life is up to age five. 85% of it. Pretty amazing. That's Moses, right? Moses knew, his mom knew, i got this much time, and then i got to turn them over to the world, to Egypt. What's our investment for these kids? Our kids don't need friends. They have friends. They need a mom. They need a dad. They need a provider, a protector, a teacher, someone that's telling them right from wrong. Right? You can be a friend too, but you need to be all that first. Someone that's going to be an example to them. Verse 24 says, And when she weaned him, she took him up with her with three bulls and one ephah flour and a skin of wine and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young, and they slaughtered a bull and brought the child to Eli. And she said, Oh, my Lord, is' As your soul lives, my Lord, I'm the woman who stood by you here praying. This is like five years later, four years later. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worshiped the Lord there. Eli's 90 uh, and, and... and she was committed to what her plan was. What she told God she was going to do, she did it. That's the way she raised him, right? And that's not the only child. We're going to read in chapter 2 that she has three more sons and two daughters on top of that. This wasn't the end, but God was patiently waiting and training her. they God's possession. You might be going through something hard today. Difficult. You think, I can't take another day. Well, you might be able to take another day. Let's see. Because God's at work while you're waiting. You don't have the end of the story. It'd be nice if we had our whole life mapped out, wouldn't it? Just read that. I'd start right at the end. What happens to me? Right? We don't have that privilege. We're walking this life by faith, trusting God, a God who cares. And if you get discouraged, you've got the Word of God jump back in it, and find out what happened to these men and women of faith who walked through hard things, who went through hard things, and get encouraged that you can keep going, right? So Lord, we're so thankful, God, for your love, for your patience, your enduring promises in our life, Lord. Uh, thankful, thankful for this book of 1 Samuel. Uh, we can relate to it so much, God, the difficulties and, and struggles of life, uh, just just things that... that uh, affect us as human beings that, that the advantage that we have is we have a God in heaven who cares. He's the Lord uh, of hosts, but you're also uh, uh, the God of Jacob. You're the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, a God who cares and sees uh, and knows our flaws, our imperfections, and you still love us. So amazing. We give you our lives. Pray for these guys this week, Lord, that you would bless them, uh, encourage them and stir their hearts, Lord. Remind them of uh, of Your Word, uh, in Jesus' name, Amen.